Uh, welcome again to ZPC. My name is Scott Shelton, associate pastor. Um, I want to say thank you. Many of you asked uh, last Sunday on Easter Sunday how our trip to Israel was. I, I took 41 people. 41 of us went to Israel. We had a great time. We got home the night of Good Friday. So we were kind of jet lagged on Easter Sunday. But this was a pretty typical picture here up on the screen. We're gathered around Jeff Carroll, who helped lead us, and we're looking down on the city of Jerusalem, and this was kind of our first view when we got to Jerusalem and got to see it early in the morning, and it was a great time, so thank you for that. I also wanted to say thank you for all of you who helped serve on Easter Sunday. Uh, I was gone, so you know, I feel a little guilty, but you know, all of you who helped with the Passion Walk, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, so many of you served in... Uh, in so many ways, so thank you for, for serving last week on Holy Week. So, and it led me to think, what do we do now uh, that Easter is behind us? So, you know, Easter is a high Holy Week. Um, there's, there's a lot going on. It's very busy. What do we now that Easter is over? Spring is here. The month of May begins on, on Wednesday. So what do we do now? What do we do as Christians? So we're going to find out by looking at John 21, verses 1 through 19, on what we do now that Easter is behind us. So let's read from the scripture, John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, where they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, on this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter Sunday, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week on Easter Sunday, we looked at John chapter 20 and read through most of that chapter, not quite all of it. And I thought it would be uh, uh, good and make sense to read John 21. That's what we're doing. It's right after Easter Sunday. It's before Jesus ascends to heaven. And it would be good for us to do that. Now, I think it's normal to think about some downtime after Easter. Uh, it's not as, we don't have as big of a production up here as you notice if you happen to be here last Sunday. It's a busy week. And Easter is, uh, in some ways, could be seen as an endpoint. It's the culmination of Lent, of Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday is a great celebration. But I don't want it to be an end point for us. I want us to think about that it's a beginning. And it's a beginning because now that we've seen, and each year we see this, we are reminded of the risen Jesus. It should give us inspiration then uh, to live for him going forward. And so that's what we want to do today. So John 20 took place in Jerusalem, but John 21 takes place on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Tiberias, or we would know it as the Sea of Galilee. It's about 90 miles north. Jesus had told the disciples he would see them again in Galilee, and here he is. And when we pick up the story, the disciples, at least seven of them in this story, are doing what they know. They are fishing. Jesus shows up. He kind of pops up. And he says, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat? And they do, and they catch a boatload of fish, literally a boatload, 153 of them. Now, there's three things in this story that should uh, be reminiscent for the disciples of past times with Jesus. The first is that Jesus causes a miraculous catch of fish. And he had done this before when he called these disciples in Luke chapter 5. So there's a famous site in the Holy Land that our group got to go to just about 12 days ago. We got the privilege to visit. And it is almost certainly the site of where John 21 happens and probably the same site where Luke Five happened. So we were there. We were going there. It was our first chance to go down. We had seen the Sea of Galilee, but our first chance to go down to the Sea of Galilee at this spot. And there's a little rocky beach there. And our guide, Jeff, said, well, this is your chance to try walking on water. So, hey, we're going to give it a shot. Now, in hindsight, I didn't have a lot of faith because I rolled up my pants before I tried. So here I am. Uh, I didn't make it. If you look closely, I'm not walking on the water, I'm in the water, but almost everybody in our group tried. Uh, Tom and Sarah Cartwright tried, there's a picture of them. They failed as well, so you know, they're kind of drying off their feet, they're going to put their sandals back on us. So if you see Tom and Sarah, tell them that they didn't make it either. So 
We did have one member that was pretty close. We thought he was the most holy, that he maybe made it for a little bit, and that was Stan Johnson. So if you know Stan, if you know who Stan is, that would make sense. But uh, he also failed in walking on the water. But seriously, here's a picture of the coast after we went from there, looking to the north. So we're standing on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, if you can picture that. Again, looking to the north. And again, almost for sure, if not for sure, very, very close to the site where John 21 and most likely Luke 5 happened as well. As the picture stays up there, I want to tell you a little bit about this place. It's called Tabka, which is a change of the name Heptagon, which means seven springs. And still today, there are seven freshwater springs which go down into the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not a saltwater sea, if you didn't know that. We might be tricked by the name. It's a freshwater lake, and it's just 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. And this area attracts fish because this, the freshwater springs that flow into the Sea of Galilee here create algae, which then is in the bottom of the lake there, the shallow part of the lake. And so fish come there, and that's why they know uh, they would go fishing there. This, is, again, is known as the spot where the story in John 21 takes place. And so... It would be reminiscent to the disciples for a couple of reasons. Number one is he sees them on the beach. Back in Luke 5, he had also seen them on the beach when he called them as his disciples, and he had caused a miraculous catch of fish. The third thing that would be familiar for them is when the disciples come ashore and see Jesus, he has a charcoal fire going and food ready for them. The Greek word anthrakion is used for charcoal here, charcoal fire, and it's the, actually the exact same word that is used in Luke 5, uh, excuse me, in another place in the scriptures. Do you know when the last time that Peter, and then we're going to focus now specifically on Peter, when was the last time that Peter had smelled a charcoal fire? Let's see if you can think of that. Do you remember the last time Peter would have smelled a charcoal fire? Um, I don't know if I heard it or not, but at the high priest's house, on the night when Jesus was arrested. When he was in the courtyard of the high priest's house, there was also a charcoal fire using the same Greek word. And that is where Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times. So why does Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? And why does Jesus ask him three times? I almost told you right there. Why does, why does Jesus ask, do you love me three times? Do you know? Because Peter had denied him three times. And we read back just a little bit earlier in the gospel, and this didn't take place, but just days ago in the scripture, uh, Jesus had said that Peter would fall away from him. Peter had promised, Lord, I'll never leave you. And then all four gospels say that Peter denied knowing Jesus three times before the cock crowed. One scholar said it was important for the early church to hear this message since they were tempted almost daily to deny knowing Jesus in their Roman occupier's culture. And we too in our culture today are tempted to deny knowing Jesus by our actions or inactions in many ways. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you know what one word may be used more than any other word in John's gospel. It's one of the key words in John's gospel, even more than the others. It's in that question. It's the word love. 
So I looked it up this week. The word love is used 57 times in John's gospel. You might think, well, it's used in all the gospels. Well, it's used 57 times in John, more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. So the word love is very important to John and to Jesus in the gospel of John. Peter had denied knowing Jesus not long before this, not once, not twice, but three times. Now Jesus, now the risen Jesus, just days later really, could have handled this in a lot of ways. Jesus could have pretended that it never happened. He could have said something like, you know, here I am, I'm back with you guys at the Sea of Galilee. Peter, you know, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal, okay? Or he could have taken another tack. He could have shamed Peter and made him feel even worse for his mistake. Why don't you explain yourself, Peter? denying me and denying knowing me after all I have done for you. But Jesus did neither of those things. Instead, he simply said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus showed love by treating Peter this way, and he allows Peter, uh, in Jesus' brilliance, to answer back to him, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter had failed in his moment of truth, in the moment when he said he would stand by Jesus. Jesus, in this time of asking these three questions, allows Peter again to be restored to him. He shows his grace, his restoration uh, from Jesus to Peter. But that's not the end. We might think, well, that's, that's a good place for the story to end, that that Jesus forgives Peter for what he's done, and, and we just go on, and everybody's happy. But that's not the end. Peter then gets a job, too. N.T. Wright says about this passage, Jesus gives Peter a command, a challenge, a commission. I might even add that a call. He calls Peter again. He recalls him, in a sense. N.T. Wright said, Jesus is sharing his own work, his own ministry with Peter. Jesus could have said, well, there, there, little Pete, you know, it's okay that you failed. I've forgiven you. Now, now run along and go about life. Instead, he takes time after each time when Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. And it could be easy to miss if we just focused on the forgiveness, which is a great story in and of itself. But Jesus not only restores the relationship and he makes it right with Peter, but he gives him purpose. He gives him purpose going forward. And by saying, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus is saying that Peter will now be the shepherd. What does it mean to be a shepherd in Jesus and really to walk in Jesus' shoes in that sense Jesus spells that out in John chapter 10. If we look back a little bit in John earlier, Jesus spells out what a good shepherd did. Jesus says the good shepherd is the gate, and he used the illustration of an ancient sheep pen or a sheep fold. Uh, We got to see one of these when we were in Israel, and it was a rocky formation with rocky fences built up of large rocks built around, and then there was an opening where the shepherd would take the sheep at night if they were out far away from home, and it was a place where many shepherds could use this location, and they could put their sheep there, but what would they use for the gate? 
And Jesus says, I am the gate. So shepherds would literally lie down in the gap to keep their sheep from leaving. And as Jesus says in John chapter 10, to keep robbers from coming in or to keep the wolves from coming in, to really to stay at watch for the sheep. So Jesus says in John 10, I am the gate. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd would lay down in the gap. But Jesus doesn't just mean that. He means that he would literally lay down his life for his sheep. Now it's Peter's turn to be those things. It's Peter's turn to be the gate, to be the first leader of the new church. It's Peter's turn to be the good shepherd. Then Jesus goes on and he tells Peter that he will one day die for Jesus. And when you think about when Peter denied knowing Jesus just uh, days before this, most likely it was in the heat of the moment when uh, Jesus was being arrested and, and things were chaotic and they didn't know all what was going on. And Peter followed Jesus to the high priest's house, but then he denied knowing him three times. Why would he deny knowing Jesus? Most likely he was afraid as we get in difficult circumstances. Perhaps he was afraid not only that he would be arrested, but that he would die. Now Jesus is telling him, part of your purpose is to feed my sheep, to be the good shepherd, but one day you will also die for my cause. You will die for me. And then Jesus says, follow me. How can Peter follow Jesus when the gospel of John is almost over? I mean, we're reading it today and we can read, there's only a few verses left. You know, Jesus, it's almost over. How's Peter going to follow you? But he can follow Jesus' commands. In the Gospel of John, we talked about the word love. Love means and is equated with obeying Jesus' commands. Loving Jesus means obeying his commands. So Peter can follow Jesus by doing what he was taught and told by Jesus, by obeying him, by loving him in his actions. So what are we to do? Well, I'd like to go first back and ask a a difficult question. Have you ever denied knowing Jesus in your own life? Let's ask it this way. Have you ever known you were supposed to do something good for God, but came up with a reason or an excuse not to do it? I know that I have. Have you hurt God's sheep, his people, with your words or actions or even your inaction? Then yes, you've denied Jesus. But guess what? you're in good company. First of all, you're in good company with Peter, who was the first leader of the new church. You're in good company, I hope, with me and with all of us. When we sin, when we go away from what we know to be right, in a sense, we deny Jesus. Yet Jesus, in this case, and I think with each of us, lovingly, thoughtfully goes to Galilee so the disciples don't come to him As we see, they've gone away. They've gone 90 miles away to the Sea of Galilee where they know he goes to Galilee. He finds them. He gives them a miraculous catch of fish. He has a charcoal fire going to let Peter know, I I remember what happened before. He feeds them, and then he asks Peter specifically, do you love me three times? And gives a chance to restore the relationship with Peter and then gives him a job to do. 
So let's look at these same three questions or commands of Jesus for our own life. First, do you love me? Care for my sheep and follow me. What do these things mean for us? Do you love me? Care for my sheep and follow me. First, do you love me? Dale Bruner is a Christian writer and author and a commentator, and he says, Our love for Jesus is often flawed and incomplete. We need to constantly come back to Jesus again and again and ask the Lord to make our love for him stronger. And so we have the promise that God will answer our prayers, that God will help us to love him if we ask. And the truth is that love is more action than feeling. Our friend Stan Johnson has written a book about John called Scent. And in that book he says, Within the scriptures, love is secondarily a feeling. It is first the actions of commitment. Love is secondarily a feeling. It is first actions. Jerry mentioned last week during the Easter Sunday sermon that he enjoys doing weddings, and I enjoy that too. They're very joyful. They're fun, um, especially, I think, oftentimes with young couples. You know, when they're young and they have their whole lives ahead of them, and when you get to meet with them, they're excited and, and they're glad to be there, and they're looking forward to their wedding day. But having lived a little life, I try to remind them that things will not always be rosy. They can be great, but they will not be perfect. And so as I think about talking to them about their vows that they will share, their promises that they will share, that they will love one another for richer or poorer in sickness and in health, I often say to couples, you know, life may be great right now as you lead up to your wedding day, but one day, someday, and you've probably already experienced that, life will not be so great. And will you be ready as life is not so great, maybe a year from now or 10 years from now, 40 years from now, especially when your spouse gets sick, when something goes wrong, will you be there to love? Are you ready to commit to that, to be loving, to be loving in action? not just when things are good. So Jesus says, do you love me? Second, Jesus says, tend my sheep. What does it mean to tend my sheep? This is to care for others. And I go back, I think it's easy to think about in a way, uh, in the gospel of Matthew, when Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats. He says, the good disciple, the good lover, the one who loves is the one who cares for those who were hungry, he says, and you gave them food. Those who were thirsty, and you gave them drink. The stranger you invited in or needed clothes, and you gave them clothes. The one that was sick, and you cared for them. The one who was in prison, and you visited them. So this week, I want to encourage you to look for some way to care for someone else in a godly way. In your daily lives, where you work, where you play with friends, with family, look for some way to care for some way for God. We can also do that through the ministries of ZPC. I think it's uh, not a coincidence. There's so many ways, even this morning, that we can think about caring for others in the ways that it talks about in Matthew. Aaron Wilson shared about straight up, there's great opportunities that you can care for young people in need just close by here. Uh, We're starting tonight, Interfaith Hospitality Network, if you don't know what that is, there's some young families that come in that are homeless, that are looking, they're trying to find job, they have job training and trying to find jobs and homes. They stay in our church for two weeks 
starting tonight. I don't know if there's still opportunities to sign up, but I think that there are. You can even make cookies this afternoon for Kairos Prison Ministry or talk to some of the folks, uh, some of our people who work with Kairos Prison Ministry and think about how you might be involved in that. Many other ways to serve as well. Why do we offer these things at church? And I believe that we do so that we can love Jesus and care for his sheep in the way that Jesus calls us to do. So Jesus says, do you love me? Care for my sheep. And he says, follow me. Now, most of us will not be asked like Peter to die for our faith, but we can follow, we can change, we can sacrifice, and we can die to self. What's this look like? Well, recently, our own ZPC member Kelly Antcliffe uh, led a trip of 33 high school students and leaders to Nicaragua. By going there, they were following Jesus and caring for his sheep. And I asked Kelly, I asked this question, it's a legitimate question, I thought. I said, why would high school students pay money, because it's pretty expensive to go on this trip, pay money to go to work in Nicaragua instead of going to Florida or somewhere else where they can lay on the beach and be with their family and friends? And here's what she said. They know that by going on this trip, they are part of something bigger than themselves. They have the opportunity to serve alongside their peers It's something special we witness, the relationships that are created with the people from Nicaragua and our own group members. They start to see the joy in being present with serving others and that we are just one small part of God's great, vast world. We too are to follow Jesus. Now, you don't need to go to Nicaragua or somewhere far away. We can look for that in our everyday lives, to love him, to care for his sheep, and to follow him. Remember that John uses love 57 times in his gospel. Do you know when the first time he uses it? It's in the third chapter of John when he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved that his son sacrificed. His son called Peter. Peter followed him, then failed. Jesus went after him again at the Sea of Galilee. He called him again with a charcoal fire nearby. He said, do you love me? He told Peter, feed my sheep and follow me. So on this day, this this Sunday after Easter, do you have a heart that loves Jesus? Pray for that kind of heart. Does your love take action? If not, look for ways for your love to take action. And will you care for Jesus' sheep? And will you follow him? Let's pray. Lord, on this Sunday, every day is, every Sunday is a Lord's Day when we have the opportunity to come and to remember your resurrection, to remember it again, to sing songs of praise, to pray and to read your scripture. Help us on this day to be reminded of how much you love us, of how much the gospel of John says that, how much you care for us deeply. But it does not end there. God, you call us to action, to follow you, to care for your sheep, and to love others. Help us with the strength of your Holy Spirit to do that this week. When you ask us to follow me, help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.